Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Bareback Facts, and today we are going to be talking about one of my personal favorite uh, pieces of American, North American, I should be specific, but North American folklore and mythology. We're going to be talking about the legendary and terrifying Wendigo. Now, the Wendigo, for starters, is a creature that goes by a number of names. It's been called the Windigo, the Windago, the Wittico, the Wittigo, the Wittikau, the Wendigo. But most commonly, it's referred to as the Wendigo. It's made popular appearances in several TV shows, uh, one of which probably uh, you might know better than others, Supernatural, was, the, uh, was one in which uh, the Wendigo pr- appeared prominently in. I believe it had a couple episodes in there. But the Wendigo is a creature that hails, that is said to haunt the northern forests of the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes region of both the United States and Canada. Now, the legend itself has actually been around for quite a long time, and it's even contributed to the medical field in, with, a, with a medical diagnosis that's actually named after the Wendigo legend. It's a medical term uh, that is referred to as Wendigo psychosis, which is described by psychiatrists as a culture-bound syndrome with symptoms such as intense cravings for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. So uh, this is uh, a very influential story, to say the very least. So without further ado, let's get right into the story itself. It's been it's been in a number of mo- it's been the subject of movies, television shows, uh, comic books. So let's get right into it. The Wendigo again comes out of the Algonquin people's folklore. Uh, this is, it's a cannibal monster, and sometimes also referred to as a cannibalistic spirit uh, that appears possess some characteristics uh, of a human and also of a spirit. It's said to, pos- to be something that can possess a human being and make them become monsters. Uh, historically, it's been associated with cannibalism, murder, insatiable greed, and the cultural taboos that exist against those behaviors. Now, I think many of us are familiar um, with some of the stories associated uh, with the Wendigo. If you're not, 
then I have a real treat for you because I'm going to, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of, of one of the particular myths associated with the Wendigo uh, that's been recited for quite a long time. And it's an adaptation of the original Algonquin myth of the Wendigo. Uh, It talks of a storm, a storm that lasts so long that a a lost family believed that it would never end. The father family was a brave warrior and ventured outside. He knew that if he didn't find food soon, his family would starve. Now, keeping his knife and spear close, he ventured out amongst the most frequently used game trails, watching intently for some sign in the newly fallen snow of animal footprints or movement of any kind. The forest he was in was deep and oddly silent. Every creature of sense lay deep within its burrow and slept. Still the warrior hunted, knowing how desperate his family had become. As he moved through the eerie stillness, broken only by the soft caress of the wind, he heard a strange hissing noise. And it came from everywhere and nowhere at once. At no time could he locate the sound source. The warrior stopped, and that was when he saw the blood-soaked footprints appearing on the path in front of him. He began to grip his knife tightly, knowing that somewhere watching him was a dreaded Wendigo. He had learned about the Wendigo at his father's knee. It was a large creature, as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and any man, woman, or child who would venture into its territory. And those were the lucky ones, because sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual would become a Wendigo himself, hunting down those that he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh and soul. The warrior knew he would not have, he would have only one chance to prevail over the Wendigo. After that, he would be killed or worse still become the next possessed with the Wendigo spirit. Now, slowly our hero backs away from the bloody footprints, listening to the hissing sound. Was it stronger in one direction or in another? As he grips his spear in one hand and his knife in the other, he stumbles, and the snowbank to his left erupts as a creature as tall as a tree leaps out at him. Creature so that his clothing rolling into the snow so that his clothing was covered, and he became hard to see in the gray twilight of the approaching storm. The Wendigo whirled its massive frame, and the warrior threw his spear striking the creature's chest, but unfortunately for the hero, the Wendigo shook it off as if it were a toy. The warrior crouched behind a small tree as the creature searched the torn-up snow for a trace of him. Perhaps one more chance. But the Wendigo loomed over his hiding place, its sharp eyes seeing the outline of him against the tree. It bent down, long arms reaching. The warrior In pain, leapt forward as if to embrace the creature and to thrust his knife into its fathomless eye. The Wendigo would howl in pain as the blade of the knife sliced into its brain cavity and tried to pull him off, but the warrior clung to the creature desperately, stabbing it repeatedly in the eyes and head. The Wendigo collapsed from uh, from the struggle, bleeding profusely and almost crushing the warrior beneath him. But the warrior manages to pull himself loose, stare at the creature, 
which now blended in with the white surroundings so well that he would not have seen it save for the blood pouring from its eyes and ears. Then the outline of the creature would grow misty and vanish, leaving only a pool of blood to indicate where it had fallen. Now the warrior himself, shaken by his efforts and weakened by the lack of food, knew that the storm would break soon and he would die if he did not seek shelter. At the edge of the wood, he found himself face to face with a small red fox. It was a fat old creature, its muzzle lined with gray, and the creature stood still as if it had been brought to him as a reward for killing the Wendigo. With a prayer of thanksgiving, the warrior would kill the fox and take it home to his starving family. The meat lasted for many days until the final storm had blown itself out and the warrior could safely hunt once more. Now, this is one of the original myths from the the Algonquins, uh, and it tells the story of a hunter lost in the snow who finds himself face-to-face with this dreaded creature. Now, I mentioned early on in the show that the Wendigo is seen as the embodiment of greed and hunger. Um, the Wendigo itself uh, is... <clears throat> is a creature that we can refer to most, you know, much in the same way that we refer to as refer to vampires as, as a social control. Uh, its story uh, is meant to be a warning to those who would not fit within the society, within this, within society, who would not go with the, who try to go against the grain, right? People that don't want to be moral and ethical. Uh, this is what could happen to you. Now, the Wendigo and creatures like it exist in myths, uh, again, all along the Atlantic coast and the Great Lakes region, but they're also found in the legends of uh, several of the neighbors of the Algonquins, the Oroquois among them, and they even have stories of a similar creature, some refer to as Stonecoat Bear, uh, which bears striking similarities to the Wendigo. Now, the Wendigo's name roughly translated uh, basically means the spirit that devours mankind. Now, another translation uh, was said to have been made by a German explorer around 1860, and it equates the word with cannibal. Uh, Wendigo are said to have an insatiable hunger for human flesh, and no matter how much flesh they eat, they will always be hungry. Uh, the hunger is reflected in their appearance. Now, according to some stories, uh, despite their you know, rather physiques. The Wendigo are described by some as being giants, measuring at about 14 feet in height. While there are slight variations as to the physical description of the creature, amongst the different Algonquin peoples, it's generally agreed that the Wendigo have glowing eyes, long yellow fangs, and long tongues. Now, most Wendigo are said to have sallow and yellowish skin, though others say that they are matted with hair or have decaying skin. Now, <clears throat> Legends say that the Wendigo were once human beings. And according to the most popular versions of the, of the story, a Wendigo was formed whenever a human being resorted to cannibalism, even if it were done in an effort to survive. And when a person consumes the flesh of another human being, he or she is believed to be overcome by evil spirits and transformed into a Wendigo. Now, in another version of the story, the Wendigo is said to have been a warrior who made a deal with, with evil spirits. And in order to save his tribe, he sacrificed his soul. 
now and was transformed into a Wendigo. Now, when peace ensued, there was no need for such a fearsome creature, and the warrior was banished from his tribe and forced to live as an outcast. As a consequence, some people believe that the human person continues to reside, that this person continues to reside and prey on human beings uh, and has for some time. Uh, it's believed, some, according to this story, it's the same, the Wendigo has been the same the whole time. Now, some people believe that a person continues to reside within the Wendigo, where specifically where its heart should be. The person is frozen, and the only way to kill a Wendigo is to kill the human within it as well. Now, there are a few legends that state that the frozen person is successfully rescued from inside the creature, and in most cases, but in most cases, death is the only way to free a person from the spirit of the Wendigo. Uh, the Wendigo are were believed to roam around the forest where the Algonquians lived and appeared over the years are rumored to have been eaten by these creatures. Many Wendigo sightings have been reported over time, not only by Native Americans, but also by white settlers. Uh, between the late 1800s and the 1920s, a Wendigo is said to have appeared near a town called Rousseau uh, in northern Minnesota, and it's been claimed that each time a sighting of this creature was made, an unexpected death followed. Uh, the sightings, however, eventually stopped and things uh, went back to normal. Uh, amongst the Cree people, there is a traditional dance called uh, the Wito Tanasi Muin, or the Wendigo-like dance. Now, during this dance, uh, the fearsome Wendigo is portrayed satirically by the dancers. Now, in addition to satirizing the Wendigo, some Native Americans even became Wendigo hunters. Now, at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, one man by the name of Jack Fiddler was tried for the murder of a Cree woman, and whilst he pled guilty to the crime, he defended himself by saying that the woman was on the verge of transforming into a Wendigo as she was being possessed by the evil spirit. Therefore, uh, she had to be killed before she murdered other members of the tribe. In addition to this woman, Fiddler claimed to have slain at least 13 other Wendigo uh, during his lifetime. <clears throat> the Wendigo itself, however, um, has been discussed by many as most, for the most part, being the embodiment of all that people fear as far as the societal taboos of the Algonquin people. So you don't, when you, when you live in a society that is largely uh, agrarian and relies on uh, small groups of people to go out and sort of hunt down meat uh, for subsistence, um, one thing you can't have in a tribal setting is somebody who's greedy. Uh, somebody who uh, doesn't want to contribute and will just eat up all the resources. So when you live in a society dependent on everybody, you know, doing their fair share of work and everybody realizing that, okay, you can't just eat all the, all of the food, all the food, all the resources. Uh, in many settings, people that were considered to be gluttonous were often told uh, that, if you continue on the path that you're on, this insatiable greed where you have to fill your stomach all the time, you could become a Wendigo. Uh, so this is, this is a key example of why you would want to sort of have a story like this. Um, 
this is a, a great social control because what you don't want to do is become a creature that preys on your fellow man. You don't want to become this spirit of hunger that can never be satisfied. Now, the Wendigo curse, being cursed to be, and becoming a Wendigo is considered by uh, the Algonquin-speaking peoples, uh, most notably the Ojibwe and the Saltu, the Cree, the uh, Nascapi, uh, and the Innu uh, people, to be one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. Uh, it's a fate worse than death, because what happens is you become a malevolent uh, and cannibalistic being who must subsist on not only those that you know and care about, but also on, you, you're going to be feeding on the rest of the members of your tribe, and you're going to be more than just a pest. You're going to be a menace uh, to those around you. You are going to be uh, something that they fear. And as a consequence, you're going to be something that has to be dealt with, something that has to be killed. Uh, so it's no surprise we see uh, individuals claiming, uh, you know, most likely that the, the individual, uh, Mr. Fiddler, actually killed this person just because he wanted to. Uh, but that being said, people would have taken this quite seriously um, because what you don't want to happen to you is you don't want to be a curse on your tribe. Uh, you don't want uh, – you when you die, you want to be able to rest you want to go where your ancestors are. You want to go uh, where your loved ones are. And if you become a Wendigo, that can't happen because when you pass on, you come back as this malevolent spirit. Now you're hungry, for, and the only way you can sustain yourself is by eating other people and devouring all the resources. The Wendigo don't simply just target uh, human beings. In some cases, the Wendigo target resources. Uh, they destroy crops. They destroy everything. Um, they, they upset the balance of day-to-day -day life. And as a consequence, um, they serve as an example of what not to do, as an example of what not to be. Uh, so, again, we look at this story um, that we've got. Uh, one, we have one individual, Basil Johnson, who's an Ojibwe teacher and a scholar from uh, Ontario, who gives us the description of a Wendigo. He, Basil describes the Wendigo as being gaunt to the point of emaciation. Uh, its desiccated skin is pulled tightly over its bones, with its bones pushing out against its skin. Its complexion, uh, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed deep back into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently in, disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. So when we see this, this creature, this is not a creature that is, you know, pretty to look at. This is terrifying. This is the stuff of nightmares. What we have is a creature that skin is falling off. The bones are poking through the skin because of how emaciated it is. And its lips are curled back. Its jagged teeth are sticking out. Mouth. It's got, you know, hot, nasty drools leaking around its fangs. And the only thing that it cares about is eating. 
and eating everything, destroying everything. So we have this spirit that is also a living, that is also at the same time almost a living thing. Uh, in the descriptions of the Wendigo, we have a spirit that is both spirit and man or animal in some cases, but it's both at the same time. So it's both alive and not alive. So it's undead, but it has these, it, it has sentience. It's not like our zombie, uh, you know, in popular culture. We talked about zombies recently, and this story is not like zombies. Uh, we think undead, we think zombie, right? Or, you know, maybe vampire. Uh, but for the most part, we think zombies. Zombies are, you know, for the most part considered in many respects to be, you know, rather mindless, depending on who's tackling it. But in much of our, much of our popular culture, zombies are rather mindless. All they do is, you know, go after you in a horde and they try to eat you. The Wendigo is intelligent. This is what makes the wind. One of the things that makes the Wendigo so terrifying is that it is a hungry manifest. It is a manifestation of hunger and greed, and it knows what it needs and it knows how to get what it needs. Uh, in the original story that I just read uh, to you guys, you can see that this creature knows how to use its surroundings to hide. It attack. It, it it knows how to get what it wants. Uh, now, of course, in the original story, the man survives. Otherwise, you know, who tells the story, right? I mean, uh, you know, somebody's got to tell the story. So uh, there has to be a survivor. With that being said, you look at this story and you think, yeah, forget that. Uh, anybody within their right mind is going to say, yeah, you don't want that. Now, descriptions of the Wendigo, it's important to note, uh, do vary. Uh, somewhat across the board, you know, there's not really a consistent pin down. This is what it looks like. And this is what it does. Uh, one of the only things that is particularly, um, you know, unifying across the board as far as a common theme is that the reason that there are Wendigo is that there are greedy people and these greedy people uh, will destroy everything around them. Greed uh, is one thing you can't afford to have in a society that is both tight-knit uh, and reliant on one another uh, to be, you know, willing to share their resources. You live in a very, uh, you know, culturally tight-knit society, a largely oral tradition where everybody knows each other, everybody relies on each other to survive. Uh, you know, you're living off the land. Uh, to a degree, maybe you have some, agra you know, you have some agrarian skills, uh, to where you can grow your own crops, maybe uh, just enough to subsist upon. But again, this is one of those situations where you where you have a social control. And this social control is, well, you don't want greedy people around you. Greedy people can, can cause other people to die, right? Uh, when, when resources are scarce, if somebody's being greedy with scant resources, people will suffer as a consequence of that, right? We start running out of food. We start running out of water. If there's only one person drinking all the water and eating all the food, uh, you know, there's going to be some hungry people. There's going to be some thirsty people. Uh, and this is one of the major concerns that people in these tribes have is that you're not going to be, uh, you know, willing to share your resources. And again, we move to the next, you know, sort of concern, and that's cannibalism. When resources are scarce, how do I know that I can trust you if you're a cannibal uh, and resources are scarce? I'm going to be looking over my shoulder 
wondering, uh, am I going to have to worry about you sneaking up on me in the middle of the night, bashing my head in with a rock and peeking, you know, picking my brains out and eating them? Uh, this is something you don't want to have to worry about when, you know, times are tough. You don't want to have to worry that your neighbor is going to crack your skull open with a rock and eat your brains. Uh, you want to know that, all right, you know, Bob, he's, you know, things are tough, uh, but Bob's a nice guy. Uh, he's going to help me out, and I'll help him out. We'll get through this together. What you don't want is to get up and say, oh, Bob, next door, yeah, uh, times are tough. Uh, man, you know, we didn't get a good, didn't get a good harvest this year. Hunting's been really, uh, game's been slim this year. Um, you know, we're trying to make it through the cold winter. Oh, but Bob, he's made it through the cold winter before. Oh yeah. How did you do that? Uh, he ate his whole family. Uh, so you don't want that to be your neighbor, uh, during the winter time, right? You don't want, you don't want the winter to come and your neighbor has eaten everybody, uh, around you and you're that last neighbor, you know, hanging around, uh, you know, great. Now, granted, this is rather exaggerated, of course, I'm being a little bit, uh, you know, humorous and facetious about it, but, um, you don't want that to happen. You want to prevent people from resorting to such an extreme, uh, because again, you want to be able to trust and rely in, you want to be able to trust on people, trust people, and rely on them uh, in this setting to to be good, to be, to show decency. Now there are some other uh, there are some other associations that are made with the Wendigo that are important to mention. Uh, the Wendigo are said to uh, ride the wind. They are said to bring uh, with them cold winds. Uh, the appearance of Wendigo can signify uh, the coming of a long winter. Uh, it's said that when there is a Wendigo nearby, every, the air becomes cold, uh, the winds pick up. Uh, they're also associated with famine and starvation. And, of course, they would be as Wendigo are, are these beings that consume everything, right? Uh, they will consume all your crops. They will consume all your, your food stores uh, and, and eventually, you know, lead to your starvation. You become prey to the Wendigo uh, when you're weak. Uh, and you've got no food, and you've got no water. You run, you run out of resources because the Wendigo's taken, take, the spirit of the Wendigo's taken all your resources, uh, leaving you vulnerable. And then the only thing left for the Wendigo to take from you, of course, is your life, uh, which the Wendigo, of course, will also take. Now, uh, the important to note also that there are some other things associated with the Wendigo. Um, the Wendigo is associated as well with the concept of ecological destruction. Uh, because uh, at least now in the mo more modern context, uh, that's what the Wendigo has come to sort of symbolize the overarching uh, theme of greed uh, that exists within humans. Uh, the idea that people are insatiable, they are greedy. Now, in addition to denoting a cannibalistic monster, uh, Native Americans understand the Native Americans also understand the Wendigo in a in a manner of that is quite different. They can conceptualize uh, the Wendigo a little bit better than people might give them credit for. <clears throat> now, as the con as a concept, the Wendigo can apply to any person, idea, or movement infected 
uh, by a corrosive drive, uh, self-aggrandizing greed, and excessive consumption. Traits that sow disharmony and destruction uh, within society if left unchecked. Something I've already said, tried to drive home. I can't drive it home hard enough. Uh, it's very important. Uh, one scholar, uh, an Ojibwe scholar named Brady DeSante, asserts that the Wendigo can, can be understood as a marker indicating a person imbalanced both internally and toward the larger community of human and spiritual beings around them, out of equilibrium and estranged by their communities, individuals afflicted by the Wendigo spirit unravel and they destroy the environmental balance around them. Uh, <clears throat> uh, in one, in one uh, novel, The Roundhouse, uh, written by uh, an, a Chippewa author named Luis Art Erdert, uh, it's the winner of a National Book Award. It depicts a situation where an individual uh, person becomes a Wendigo. Uh, and the novel describes in detail its primary antagonist, uh, who is a, a, a rapist, who, whose violent crimes desecrate a sacred site, and as a Wendigo, uh, who must be killed because he threatens the reservation's safety. Now, in addition to characterizing individual people who exhibit destructive tendencies, the Wendigo has also been used to describe movements and events with similarly negative effects. Uh, according to one professor, Dr. Chris Shedler, the figure of the Wendigo represents consuming forms of exclusion and assimilation through which groups, groups dominate other groups. Uh, this application allows Native Americans to describe colonialism and its agents as cultural Wendigos, something uh, worth investigating there for those of you interested in that aspect of it. Now, since the process of colonialism, uh, you know, pushed the natives from their land and through the natural world, uh, pushed these people from their land and through the natural world out of balance, uh, this is one reason why uh, they are able to, um, they've been sort of able to conceptualize colonialism and the people who are agents of colonialism you know, white settlers or the Spanish or the French or the English, whoever it happened to be, uh, as Wendigos. Now, uh, Brady DeSanti points to the 1999 horror film Ravenous, a uh, very popular horror film uh, for its time, as an illust illustration of this argument equating uh, the cannibal monster to American colonialism and manifest destiny. Uh, by the way, the film Ravenous is also available, I believe, on Netflix. It's actually worth investigating. does deal with cannibalism uh, and this concept uh, and some of these other concepts they're talking about uh, where, you know, the uh, deals with uh, the cannibal monster uh, and cannibalism. Uh, it also deals with American colonialism, Manifest Destiny, uh, and features a character who articulates the ex that expansion brings displacement and destruction as side effects explaining that Manifest Destiny and Western expansion will bring thousands of gold-hungry Americans over the mountains in search of new lives, uh, suggesting this country is seeking to be whole, stretching out its arms, and consuming all that it can. Uh, and we merely follow. So, and these are sort of uh, paraphrase quotes from the film itself. Um, uh, if you want more information more examples of how the Wendigo legend has been uh, sort of lent to uh, critiques of colonialism. Uh, you can look at a book uh, written by Jack D. Forbes in 1978, Columbus and Other Cannibals, which is an influential text uh, within the American Indian movement. 
Now, as a concept, the Wendigo can apply to many other situations other than just Native American European relations uh, or dealing with uh, greed uh, in terms of resources. It can serve as a metaphor explaining any pattern of domination by which groups subjugate and dominate or violently destroy and displace others. Uh, so, a uh, professor at Arizona State University, Joe Lockhart, argues that Wendigos are agents of social cannibalism uh, who know no provincial or national borders. All human cultures have been visited by shape-shifting Wendigos. Uh, their visitations speak to the inseparability of the human experience, uh, and national identity is irrelevant to this borderline, borderless uh, horror. Now, if you're interested in where this comes from, this comes um, from facing the Wendigo, uh, Gerald Weisenor and Primi, Primo Levi. Uh, it's from the University of Press, uh, Nebraska Press. Uh, that's the title of the book, Facing the Wendigo. Um, and in this, Lockhart's ideas, uh, Lockhart argues that Wendigos are an expression of a dark aspect of human nature, the, the drive toward greed, consumption, and disregard for other life in the pursuit of self-aggrandization. Now, most people that are familiar with the Wendigo are familiar with the Wendigo because of one uh, reason and one reason only. Uh, there is a writer by the name of Algernon Blackwood uh, who wrote – uh, the a short story in 1910 called The Wendigo, uh, and his book, uh, his short story has been very influential. Uh, it's influenced many subsequent portrayals in mainstream horror fiction, such as uh, August Derleth's The Thing That Walked in the Wind, uh, Ithaca uh, in 1933 and 1941, respectively. Uh, it also inspired the character in Stephen King's novel Pet Cemetery, where it is a personification of evil, uh, an ugly grinning creature with yellow gray eyes. Um, it's referring specifically to the person raised from the dead. Uh, the Wendigo appears uh, in American comic books published by Marvel Comics, uh, written by uh, written by Steve Englehart and illustrated by Herb Tremp. The monster is the result of a curse that afflicts those who commit acts of cannibalism in parts of Canada. Uh, and it first appears actually in The Incredible Hulk number 162, uh, in the April 1973 edition, fighting the Incredible Hulk, as well as the Wolverine in his first comic book appearance. So interestingly enough, the Wendigo is actually a comic book villain as well. Wasn't enough for it to be a terrifying villain within Native American folklore. It had to jump the jump over that and become uh, and and surpass even that. It it, uh, it truly is a creature that's larger than life. Uh, Creatures based upon Wendigos appear in a number of films, including *Ravenous*, uh, the film *The Descent*, um, in which uh, we see creatures that have striking uh, similarities and abilities to the Wendigo. Of course, I mentioned *Supernatural*. It's also appeared in the, the television series *Charmed*, *Grimm*, and also uh, uh, even more notably in the series *Hannibal*, in which a creature vastly matching. Uh, the Wendigo in appearance and symbolism appears in several episodes. Uh, it appears in several role-playing games, such as Until Dawn, The Legend of the Secret World, War, War, Warcraft universes, as well as role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so it's a creature that's been uh, pretty popularized uh, in terms of popular culture, but it's important to note that this 
uh, is not where the Wendigo story ends. Now, among the Asiniboin and the Cree and the the Cree and the Ojibwe, there we, I mentioned the satirical dance, uh, the Wendigo dance that is sometimes performed during times of famine uh, to reinforce uh, the importance of you know being generous and being you know you know together, uh, showing a good spirit in, of community. Uh, this dance is still performed today. Uh, was is still been performed. Um, uh, I believe it's been performed up until the, it was performed up until the nineties. Um, it's not. I'm not entirely sure if it's still performed today. That's something I'd have to specifically look into. Uh, but it was, it was performed up until about 1990 uh, at Lake Windigo of Star Island at Cass Lake. Uh, located within the Leech Lake Indian Reservation in northern Minnesota. So uh, this is one of the last known Wendigo ceremonies conducted in the U.S. Uh, But it's still uh, something worth investigating. Um, Now, uh, I mentioned earlier the Wendigo psychosis. Uh, The medical diagnosis that's actually been, gets its name from the Wendigo as well. In the historical accounts of the Wendigo, of Wendigo psychosis, it's been reported that humans become possessed by the Wendigo spirit after being in a situation of needing food and having no other choice besides uh, cannibalism. Um, now, one of the more famous cases of the Wendigo psychosis that's been reported uh, involves a Plains Cree trapper. Uh, from Alberta named Swift Runner. During the winter of 1878, Swift Runner and his family are starving, and his eldest son died. Uh, They're 25 miles away from emergency food supplies at the Hudson's Bay Company post. Uh, Swift Runner then butchered and ate his wife and five remaining children to survive. You would think eating his dead son and wife would have been enough, but apparently he ate his wife and his five remaining children. Uh, and this is according uh, this is uh, an account according to Robert A. Brightman, uh, The Wendigo in the Material World, which is an ethno history he did. It's published in 1988. Um, and now according to this, according to Brightman's account of this, uh, Given that he resorted to cannibalism so near to food supplies and that he killed and consumed the remains of all those present, it was revealed uh, that Swift Runners was not a case of pure cannibalism as a last resort towards starvation, but rather uh, of a man with Wendigo psychosis. Uh, he eventually confesses uh, to his crime and is executed at Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, there's, another, there's been a couple of other well-known cases. Um, one, one such case. Uh, involving the Wendigo psychosis was that of uh, Jack Fiddler, who I mentioned before. Uh, he was an OG Cree chief uh, and medicine man known for his powers at defeating Wendigos. Uh, in some cases, he, it entailed killing people with with Wendigo psychosis, uh, people that were suffering from basically the same thing he was. Uh, as a result, in 1907, Fiddler and his brother Joseph were arrested by the Canadian authorities for homicide. 
Uh, Jack himself committed suicide, but Joseph was tried and sentenced to life in prison. Uh, ultimately, he was granted a pardon, but he died three days later in jail before receiving uh, news of his pardon. Now, when I say that they and their victims suffered from Wendigo psychosis, let's take a look at what the Wendigo psychosis is. Uh, because this is very important that we we uh, just explain the reason why, uh, how they uh, could possibly suffer from the same thing that the victims suffered from. So the Wendigo psychosis specifically is the fear of becoming a Wendigo or the fear of resorting to cannibalism. Uh, prominently, it's prominently defined as an intense craving for human flesh, uh, and also the fear that you will give in to this craving. Uh, so, essentially, uh, what we have is the fear that you'll become a Wendigo, or the fear that you could uh, succumb to this desire to eat. Uh, another person matched with the fear that you're matched with the fear that somebody else is going to suffer from this. So before they do, you just, you just kill them. Uh, So that is why we can say that both the victim and the perpetrator of the crime suffered from the same disorder because it's, it's a disorder that afflicts, the person who afflicts a person with a phobia that they, that somebody around them could succumb to uh, being a Wendigo or that they themselves would become the victim of a Wendigo. And it's also this, this uh, intense craving for human flesh that goes along with it. That's also been associated with Wendigo psychosis. So, um, you know, somebody might have made an offhand remark. They were so hungry. So in other words, don't say you were so hungry you could eat your brother. Just stick with the I'm so hungry I could eat a horse thing, and maybe your neighbors won't murder you, uh, at least in this context. Now, uh, there's been a, there was a fascination really with the Wendigo psychosis amongst uh, ethnographers, psychologists, and anthropologists, uh, which led to hotly debated controversy in the 80s over the historios- historiosity of this phenomenon – uh, there are many researchers that argued that essentially Wendigo, the Wendigo psychosis is a fabrication, uh, was a fabrication and the result of naive stories related to them at face value without observation. Now, others have pointed to a number of credible eyewitness accounts, uh, both by Algonquins and others, as evidence that the Wendigo psychosis was, an, was a factual historical phenomenon. Uh, the frequency of Wendigo psychosis cases decreased sharply in the 20th centuries as boreal uh, Algonquin people came into greater and greater contact with the West, with Western ideologies and more sedentary, less rural lifestyles. Uh, so we haven't really seen people claiming that they're suffering from when the Wendigo psychosis, you know, there's not a lot of people out there saying I would totally eat my neighbor if I could, uh, you know, it, I know it's sad, but you know, eventually you just got to move on. You got to give up on eating your neighbors sometime. It's got to happen sometime. Uh, so in this, in this case, this is a story that's, you know, been around for quite a while, uh, and it evolved a great deal. It's, it's had profound impacts on popular culture, uh, so much so that it's even influenced, uh, the medical field. They even had to come up with a, 
entire mental disorder to associate with people uh, that were, you know, believed to be afflicted by this disorder. Uh, so, I want to return the Wendigo. We've talked about, you know, more or less the more factual side of things. Look at some of the sources, you know, of where the where the Wendigo comes from. But now I want to look more at the story itself. I want to look more at the story itself. We talked a little bit about, you know, what the Wendigo could be, look like, you know, what's it do. Um, but let's take a look more at the, you know, things associated with the Wendigo. Let's take a look more at the legend itself. So the Wendigo, if we look at it, if we go into the mythos, take away uh, the the factual side for a moment, uh, we we still get a very interesting story, right? Yes, it's important that we've looked at the reason for the story being told, but now it's but now I want to take a step out of that for a moment and move towards why this story is as entertaining as it is because this story is terrifying for sure. It's definitely scary uh, to think that a person would you know be able to consume you know their relatives. I mean, this this individual who's you know 25 miles from the nearest you know safe haven where food and shelter can be found and just says, hey, I'll eat my family. Uh, that'll do, you know, uh, that's, that's pretty horrifying to think about. Uh, but we, we, we got to look at the rest of this story. The myth, the myth itself uh, is still incredibly fascinating. So let's take a look uh, specifically um, at some of these some of the things associated with the Wendigo. So I mentioned that a person who consumed another person uh, could become a Wendigo, but that's not the only way that a person can become a Wendigo. You see, much like Wendigo can turn other people in to Wendigo, uh, but the method in which they do it um, is a little bit different. Now, the story varies depending on who you talk to, or depending on which vo- version of the story you're looking at. But in many, many cases, uh, the Wendigo can simply take over an individual's body. Uh, they simply jump inside of you take over your body and you you become the manifestation of the Wendigo itself, which I think is particularly terrifying in and of itself, not just the fact that you're going to be possessed by this unquenchable, unslackable hunger in which you have now got to eat all the time. But it's not just this need to feed, the desire to eat everything and anything that you can. Terrible transformation that you undergo where your bones start to crack through your skin uh you you start to rot you get you you know your eyes change they become glowing and yellow your your teeth uh your jaw shifts you become you become misshapen your jaw your teeth elongate uh you grow claws you your hair gets all disheveled 
uh, parts of your skin simply fall off and reveal reveal your innards. Uh, in some cases, what's even more terrifying is that the Wendigo itself in some stories takes on some of the characteristics of the creatures that it not only possesses, but also the creatures that it eats. Uh, so you have all these different portrayals of the Wendigo, some of which with antlers, with bare faces, uh, all sorts of things. Imagine a, a spirit or creature that when it eats something, it takes some of the most dangerous things from that creature. So picture uh, a creature that's got the claws of a bear that's large like a bear, like a bear got the speed of a wolf, got sharp antlers or tusks of a boar, antlers of a deer. Now picture that this thing is walking on two feet like a human and can not only run faster than you could potentially be bigger than, you know, not only could it potentially be, you know, 14 feet tall, uh, depending on the story that you're listening to, not only can it outrun you, uh, within some tales about the Wendigo, the Wendigo can fly. So it's almost like they came up with this creature and it just gets worse and worse, depending on the story you listen to. It just gets so much worse. Uh, you know, here's a creature that it's bad enough that you basically, basically, uh, it can take over your body uh, and turn you into this agent of hunger in which you now, you just go around and eat anybody and anything. You don't care if they're related to you or not. You'll eat your whole family. Uh, you'll go, you'll go stark raving mad and kill everybody that you know. That's, that's terrifying. Okay. But going stark raving mad, killing everybody, you know, that's really horrifying. Being able to do that, you know, doing that and then being able to fly, then being able to take on the characteristics of those that you, you know, devour. Um, and when I say characteristics, I don't just mean the external characteristics. In some stories, the Wendigo can fool people by stealing the voices of its victims. Uh, we have stories of people who find themselves being hunted by a Wendigo, and they're, they're fooled by the Wendigo because the Wendigo ate their friend, ate their relative, and stole their voice. That is horrifying. So you have an individual, so not only now can you not trust what you, you know, not only can you not trust those around you in this scenario, but now you have a creature that can devour other people that you know and then say, hey, you know, how's it going, man? How you doing? Come on over. And, you, you know, it's dark outside. You can't see him. He calls, you know, it's your buddy. He calls you over, and then it's a freaking Wendigo. It jumps out and kills you. That's, <laughs> that's some straight-up bull crap right there. Um, you know, that is that is not cool uh, that this thing can do the things that it can do. I mean, I'm having a little bit of, little bit too much fun talking about this, but in reality, when you think about it, this is a terrifying creature to behold. Uh, the Wendigo is said to have a number of skills and powers, uh, including stealth. Uh, it's a near-perfect hunter. Uh, it knows and uses every inch of the terrain and territory that it's in. Uh, it can blend in with its territory. It can blend in with its surroundings, almost like an active camouflage. It sees you before you see it in almost every scenario. So uh, that's pretty terrifying. This thing is like a, a, a spirit predator. That is freaking terrifying. Uh, then... Uh, to top it off, and guys, there's no telltale shrimmer. 
there's there's no telltale shimmer shimmer for this guy. So uh, don't don't think that you know it's going to be like Archer and Predator. Uh, you you can't see his you know cloaking device giving off his movement. According to the stories, there is no cloaking device. He just shows up and this guy just shows up and eats you, uh, which is kind of messed up. Um, in addition to that, as if that wasn't bad enough, as if it wasn't bad enough that this thing can steal voices. Uh, that it can fly in some scenarios, that it can take on uh, characteristics of animals and people that it eats, uh, that it can steal people's voices. It also has access to magic, and a very specific kind of magic. The Wendigo itself is said to be able to call down storms. Uh, It's said to be able to call down entire blizzards to trap people. Imagine everything is fine, the weather is calm, and then you get hit with a blizzard out of nowhere. Now, this happened. This has happened many times throughout history. We here have seen it happen. Uh, depending on where you live in the United States, personally, spent a great deal of time in, in the northern United States, specifically Ohio, Indiana, uh, and that part of the world, and that part of the country. Uh, we 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 are no strangers to snowstorms. But what an apt way of blaming, you know, blaming a snowstorm on a windigo. So you have this creature that can basically show up, be all all as terrifying as it possibly could be. You think it can not get any worse. Now it can use it can use magic to hit you with the blizzard out of nowhere. Uh, this thing is like a Pokemon from hell. Uh, it's it, it's the most, is it, I mean, that is terrifying. This thing is a shape-shifting ass-kicker uh, that just does whatever it wants, conceivably does whatever it wants, takes over whoever it wants. This is one twisted demon. Uh, some legends describe it as being a giant with an icy heart, uh, sometimes thought to be entirely made of ice. Now, depend, So depending on the story you get, you're going to get a lot of different very, we're, we're gonna we're going into the variations of the story uh, because I want to give you guys a picture of how terrifying this creature can really be. Uh, so in some tales, some variations of the story, we have a giant, an ice giant essentially, uh, with a heart of ice, sometimes thought to be entirely composed of ice. Its body is skeletal, deformed with uh, missing lips and toes. Uh, the Ojibwe describe it as a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth, uh, its breath uh, releasing a strange hiss, its footprints uh, always full of blood because it's always, uh, it's always feeding, it's always covered in blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. Uh, sometimes it possessed the person instead, and then the luckless individual becomes a wendigo, hunting down those who he once loved the most, feeding upon their flesh. Uh other other versions of the creature are spoke of as the creature spoke of as a gigantic spirit over 15 feet tall that had once been human but had been transformed into a creature into a creature uh, possessed by an insatiable hunger by the use of magic. Now, despite the fact that all descriptions of the creature vary slightly, uh, the Wendigo is generally said to have glowing eyes, long yellowed fangs, terribly long, sharp, jagged claws, and an overly long tongue. Uh, with which it uses to lap up the blood of its victims, probably steal your frickin' soul. Uh, so this thing, this thing shows absolutely no mercy. No, there's no reasoning with it. 
They are described as having, sometimes they're described as having sallow, yellowish skin. Other times they're depicted to be covered with matted hair uh, or simply to be uh, skeletal creatures. Uh, They're said to have a number of other skills as well, ranging from uh, superhuman agility uh, and almost complete invulnerability to natural mortal weapons. Uh, Wow. Uh, so basically, just create. I mean, this. Whenever we were kids, we all would, you know, we all wanted to be superheroes. This, the, the people that came up with this story were the kid you played with that was just like, I get all the powers, and you just, yeah, I, all, I'm, I'm going to take all powers for a thousand, please. Uh, so this thing basically has unlimited amounts of power. And it's virtually unkillable, uh, you know, with the exception of the guy that stabs one in the heart and cuts its heart out. Uh, you know, how close, I mean, how, how many people are going to be able to cut out this thing's heart? Be real. Something that can jump down out of nowhere, kill you without a moment, without any kind of hesitation, without your ability to really do anything about it because there's a Titan reflexes. How, we're not going to talk about how awesome the guy in the story is that actually killed in the original myth that actually killed the Wendigo is if it's got all these powers and this guy killed it, he is a, he, this guy's a God. All right. He's a beast. I mean, if, I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, if I killed something like this, I'd cut its head off. I'd mount it on my wall. I'd be telling everybody, uh, this, I mean, I guess that's why he's, you know, why we get this legend because this guy, uh, the, the guy in our story that survived this thing, uh, you know, he should have been gifted with more than a fox, people. All right. The, the story hasn't been gifted with a fox for ridding the world of an evil spirit, uh, the Wendigo. That is total bullcrap. Uh, that is not enough. When we look at this thing's laundry list of abilities, look at its laundry list of just terror, terrifying things that it can do, that it's capable of. Uh, that is ridiculous. Uh, I, you know, I'm not as familiar with the Ojibwa. Uh, or Algonquin's, uh, you know, pantheon. You know, as far as as far as you know, the gods that they believed in. Uh, this is about as close as I can get in, into their uh, belief system. Uh, about as much as I know about it. Uh, but that guy got totally robbed. I mean, I don't know what the significance of a fox is, but I'd be asking for a whole damn deer or something. Uh, give, give give me a wildebeest. Give me something. I just killed a Wendigo. Come on. Uh, this guy got totally robbed uh, in this story. Uh, and, you know, people are going to say, well, that's just silly. It's just a legend. Yeah, but, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, you hear a legend like this, you know, I mean, Achilles, we, we, I've talked about Achilles on my show. Uh, let's change gears for a minute. But, you know, I've talked about other myths on the show before. I've talked about Achilles. I mean, he got gifted a spear from from the gods, and he got gifted a, a, a sword from the gods, and then he got gifted a shield from the gods just for being – who he was. I mean, this guy kills kills a, an insatiable demon that's hungry for human flesh, and all he gets is a freaking fox. That, that you know, that, he got gypped. I'd have been asking for something. Uh, so, uh, but returning back to topic, the Wendigo itself uh, is said to be a curse, but it's also said to be cursed. So it's the curse of, there is a curse of the Wendigo and the curse of the Wendigo is that you could become a Wendigo. Uh, important to note uh, that curse of the Wendigo is the fact that you yourself could become a Wendigo, and that's just terrifying enough. But uh, the Wendigo itself is also a being that is cursed. 
because a person who's suffering from the curse of the Wendigo must wander the land forever, seeking to fulfill the voracious appetite for human flesh. And if there's nothing left to eat, uh, it must be in a perpetual state of starving to death until it eventually dies. Uh, and, and it's not clear, to, you know, as far as stories go, it's not clear how long its lifespan is. Uh, but I'm assuming that if it's supposed to wander the land eternally to seek fulfillment for its voracious appetite for human flesh and, and other resources, uh, that if there's nothing and it, nev- and it doesn't locate something to eat, I can only imagine that it's already been suffering from starving to death for all this time. It's probably going to take it a while to die. Uh, so that's just, that's just terrible. That's just terrible all the way around. Uh, now, there are some other ways that one can become a, uh, a Wendigo, uh, much like the Legends of Vampires. Uh, I talk about how uh, within the Slavic folklore and vampires, uh, shitty people become vampires when they die. Uh, kind of the nicest way, the quick, the easiest way to say it. Um, well, in, this is a similar uh, scenario uh, with the Wendigo. Uh, if you're a crappy person while you're alive, uh, you're probably going to be cursed and you're going to come back as a Wendigo and ter- you know, terrorize your, your relatives and your tribe. Uh, so just don't be an asshole and you won't come back as a Wendigo is kind of what they were going for. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's interesting that we have uh, that, you know, people before us came up with these stories and they were kind of like, all right, uh, everybody don't be a jerk and you won't have this terrible thing happen to you. But I swear, if you're a jerk, you're going to be this thing. You're going to be this awful thing uh, that comes back and devours people. Uh, you know, you know that there was a guy that was like, the joke's on you, man. I'm I'm cool with living forever. Even if it does mean I got to be a general pain in the ass and eat everybody around me, that's fine. Uh, you know, I can only imagine the terror, you know, the, the amazing arguments that were had over, you know, becoming a Wendigo. Like, you're a jerk, man. You're probably going to die and become a Wendigo. Yeah, well, whatever. You know, I don't care. I'm going to be, that. that's fine with me. Uh, but uh, according to legend, People that ex- displayed uh, extreme greed, gluttony, uh, and and uh, you know the desire to have live a life of excess uh, might be possessed by a Wendigo at death. Uh, thus, this myth served as a method of encouraging cooperation and moderation. The idea that okay, guys, we're all in this thing together. We're all, we're all in this together, and we all need to uh, do our part. We we need to con- all be contributing to the betterment of our community. Um, you know, don't be, don't get greedy. If you have a good harvest, you know, share. If, if you have a good kill at the hunt that you were on, you know, share it with your neighbors. Don't, don't be a selfish douche, uh, because other people are hungry and they they're going to want to eat and they're going to want to live. Uh, you know, so don't be, don't don't be a jerk. You know, be 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 willing to share. Uh, now, again, uh, important to note. Uh, returning to, uh, I want to return again. I know we're bouncing back and forth, but uh, I'm kind of just do, just kind of rolling with it. Uh, now, the legend itself, again, I talked about this, uh, to the disputed modern medical term, the Wendigo psychosis, uh, which is considered by some to be a syndrome that creates an intense craving for human flesh and a fear of becoming a cannibal. 
Uh, it's ironic that this uh, psychosis is said to occur within people living around the Great Lakes of Canada and the United States, uh, which is one of the reasons why it is such a hot-button topic for people uh, within the field of anthropology and psychology. Uh, now, Wendigo psychosis usually only develops in the winter. Imagine that. In uh, and, and individuals who are isolated by heavy snow for long periods, long months. We'd, we also have other terms to this. It's called cabin fever, guys. Come on. Uh, you know, you go crazy when you're pent up for a long period of time. Um, moon madness. No, uh, we, we, get, uh, we get that cabin fever. You get stir crazy, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is just another term for that. Uh, with the added caveat that you're going to eat your neighbors or eat your entire family like Mr. Swift Runner did. Come on, Swift Runner. What's wrong with you? All you had to do was, you know, walk 25 miles to get some food. Why you got to eat your neighbors? I mean, why you got to eat your whole family? And you didn't even start with your son. You ate your wife first. I mean, what is that? Um, now, the most common response when a person shows uh, signs of Wendigo psychosis was a curing attempt by traditional native healers. Uh, in the cases of the past, if these attempts failed and if, if the person was was possessed uh, and they began to either threaten those around them or act violently or antisocially, they were executed. Uh, there are suggestions that this is there have been reports regarding this psychosis dating back hundreds of years, uh, which, of course, as well as there might be because the story's pretty old. Uh, you know, the fact that people would be keeping a close eye on people around them, uh, you know, is not anything new, particularly in a society that is, you know, uh, you know, tight knit communities. Uh, of course, you're going to be keeping an eye on the people around you. You guys, you know, live live together, live around each other every single day. You're going to be noticing if your your neighbor Bob's house, you know, you're going to notice if uh, Cabin smells like dead animal, uh, and he's been in there eating his neighbor, you know, eating his whole family. You you would hopefully notice that. Uh, now, when to go psychosis? Uh, the initial symptoms are poor appetite, uh, nausea, and vomiting. Uh, then subsequently, the individual begins to develop a delusion of being transformed into a Wendigo. Uh, the people who have Wendigo psychosis increasingly see others around them as being edible, and at the same time, they have exaggerated fear of becoming cannibals. Uh, so they're torn by this uh, innate desire to eat their friends uh, like pork chops, uh, but then they're they're torn between the internal struggle of I don't want to be a cannibal. Uh, sounds to me uh, I'm going to have to side. Uh, I don't want to take too much uh, in the way of sides on this, uh, but it seems uh, just based on what we know about this Wendigo psychosis that honestly uh, you put these people in a situation where they're isolated. There's there's you know slim to no resources. Uh, you're just asking for people to do something messed up. Uh, you really are just asking for people to do some messed up stuff. So, uh, again, sightings of the Wendigo are still reported, uh, particularly in northern Ontario, uh, near the Cave of the Wendigo. Uh, imagine that. There's a cave called the Cave of the Wendigo. Uh, and uh, people say they see Wendigo there. Well, it's probably why they call it the Cave of the Wendigo, but I'm, you know, I mean, who am I? I'm just a guy that's, you know, telling you the story, right? Uh, there's also been reported sightings around the town of Kenora where it has allegedly been spotted by traders, trackers, and trappers for decades. <clears throat> but there are many people that still believe that the Wendigo roams the woods in the prairies of northern Minnesota and Canada, uh, Kenora, Ontario, 
Canada has been given the title the Wendigo Capital of the World by many, and sightings of the creature in this area uh, have continued well into the new millennium. Uh, So interestingly enough, uh, the Wendigo is still, uh, people still claim to see Wendigo, to see this creature. Um, But, you know, when you look at when you look at this idea of the Wendigo psychosis, uh, when you look at the story itself, it's easy to see where people would try to rationalize this story. But uh, sometimes stories don't need to be rationalized. We can take them for what they give us on 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 the outside, right? We can take them for what they are. Uh, right off the bat, you know, I, I can conceive of uh, you know uh, ways in which we can look at this story. Uh, and just take it for what it what it is, um, you know. And when I say take it for what it is, uh, let's just look at the context of the story. The context of this story is greedy people are bad people. Community. We live in a community in which we rely on one another, and we li- rely on one another's generosity to survive. Uh, everybody is if everybody is open and honest about the resources that they have. It makes survival easier. It makes us work together as a community. We, we go together. Everything is peanut butter and jelly when we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing. Whenever, when we've got the people bringing in the harvest, everybody's bringing in their fair share of food, it's peanut butter jelly time. Everything's great. But when we have somebody in the community who doesn't want to fulfill their end of the bargain, who wants to benefit but doesn't want to contribute, or who wants to doesn't want to let the community benefit on uh, from what they do so let's say we have a hunter in our community and he is pretty good at what he does but he doesn't want to share well he's hunting the woods you know clean of all the game but he's not sharing any of it so we're not benefit the tribe itself is not benefiting uh if that's not reason enough for uh the story uh, you know as a social control to encourage generosity i don't know what is always this that we always have this desire as people, we have a desire to try and understand, to try and rationalize the story. That can't be it. That can't be all of it. You know, we can't just, you know, leave the due credit of, oh, they came up with this story uh, because they wanted people, they gave people something to be afraid of, uh, something to fear, so that they would maintain their spot in society, so that they would do uh, so that they would adhere to what they were responsible for, so they would live up to their responsibilities and do the things that they're supposed to do. That oftentimes is not enough for us as people. We want to complicate it. Uh, you know, you see these shows, and, uh, and you know, I don't like to rail against them too hard, but because I think sometimes they try to to get people interested in history, uh, and I'm very passionate about history. I'm very passionate about the things that I'm talking about. Um, but I don't want to bash the History Channel too much, but I'm, I'm going to criticize them here uh, because you see the way that they cover stories like this. They don't want to talk about – they don't want to leave well enough alone in this instance. Me, I'm willing to accept this story of the Wendigo for what it is. I don't have to decide whether or not the Wendigo is real. That's not important. The, the, the why of the story is more important. So whether or not the Wendigo is real is not relevant. The Wendigo could be real, for all I know. Probably not. Not you know. I, I certainly wouldn't want to rule it out, but it's most likely not. It's a story that serves a purpose, right? 
just like vampires are a story that serve a purpose. Um, they serve a purpose, and the purpose that they serve is to keep people in check, keep people in line. This is often not good enough for people within the field of history. Oftentimes they want to say, well, you know, uh, maybe my, maybe they were just stupid. You know, maybe those people were just stupid. I mean, that's just ridiculous to have this creature, uh, you know, running around the woods scaring people. That's just, you know, ah, that's, you know, bogus. That's bull crap. Uh, you know, our ancestors, ha, they were so stupid. They didn't know anything. Uh, but I know the truth. I, I know how weather works. I know how all this stuff works. Uh, you know, I know I know the way things are because I'm I'm the modern, more advanced person. Uh, but we don't want to give credit where credit is due. First off, uh, I think it's important when we look at these stories, we credit the people that came before us for their creativity. These stories are incredibly creative. Uh, they show the depth of how com- they show a tremendous amount of complexity and depth as far as, as far as explaining a metaphor, as far as uh, using imagery. These are incredibly complicated uh, interwoven tales that they are telling and sharing back and forth. And the fact that many of these communities that are coming up with these stories are oral traditions and are still able to tell such a story is phenomenal. It's impressive. It's damn impressive. I mean, some of us, we can barely remember breakfast. These people were remembering this story and the details of this story and retelling the story. Now, that's not to say that the story's details didn't change over time. Of course it changed over time. That's why we have so many different tellings of the story. But what is important is that the story stayed alive for so long because people remembered it and they told it and they, it served a purpose. It had value to these people, and that's what's important. We get so hung up today. We are very hung up on, oh, well, that's not what I believe, so that's just bull. Uh, you know, that's a load of malarkey because I don't believe in it. But we, it's, we are not in a position where we should worry about whether or not it's real to us. It's important when we look at these things to realize that it's real to these people. It's important to them. They valued it as a culture, as a society. They valued this. It was important to them. It had value to them. And we just need to look at the reasons why it had value to them. Uh, one of the major – so this is a major critique I have of the way that people have sort of tackled the Wendigo in the past is, uh, you know, people have talked about it, and they've said, oh, well, you know, we let's, you know, Wendigo psychosis. They take a story and they say, oh, well, they must have been crazy. That's what it is. You know, it's cabin fever. It's stir craziness. Uh, you know, that's what it is. They're just crazy. What if it's just – what, what if it, they're not crazy and they're just telling a really good story? Um, you know, where do we draw the line between genius and insanity, right? Um, you know, some, one person's insanity is another person's genius. Um, when we look at this story, it's incredibly apparent that these people were very intelligent. The people that came up with the story Uh, the people that came up with this story are incredibly brilliant. Uh, and when we look at this, uh, when we look at this, I think it's important that we give these people credit for what they came up with. Uh, you know, you look at, th- and this really harkens back to the quote by Oscar Levant. There's a fine line between genius and insanity. And I've embraced this line. Where am I going with this? You might ask. Well, People, these people, these psychologists and anthropologists, 
they're attempting to look at this story and they're saying, oh, my God, these people are crazy. They're, they're mentally ill. That's what their problem is. But, but to say that is to write off a lot of things. First off, it's to write off uh, the cultural contribution these people are making by telling the story to begin with. It also writes off the reason that they're telling this story. Why are they telling this story? Well, I've hammered it home numerous times already, but they're telling this story to keep people in their community in line. This is a warning. This story is a warning. It's not, it's not a ghost, ghost, you know, ghost story that we're telling to entertain ourselves. It's not there's one guy, he's crazy, he just told this story, now people believe it, they're paranoid, they're going to eat everybody, oh my God, we need to... No, this is a story that is a warning. It serves to warn us of a couple of things. The first thing it warns us of is to not be greedy. Don't turn your back on your community. Don't be greedy. And, and rob the people around you of their resources. Don't do that. The second thing that it tells us is it should be obvious, but for this time period, uh, during a time in which people, you know, might practice, can you know, might might practice cannibalism in some cases, uh, cannibalism is a taboo in many parts of the world. It's a taboo here. We sure as hell uh, don't encourage people to eat other people here, uh, and these people, you know, would would probably agree with you. They don't think eating people is right either. Clearly. Uh, the Wendigo eats people, uh, and that's not a good thing. It's very uh, clear in this story that eating people is not good, okay? Eating people is bad, okay? Don't do that. And so the Wendigo story serves to tell us these things. It reinforces this, uh, the importance of contributing to the community and not uh, hoarding resources, not stealing from the community, being willing to share with your community. This is very important. You want to make sure – you're sharing with the community. You want to make sure you're doing your part. You're contributing to the community. And then there's the other half of it. Uh, don't eat people. Uh, when times get desperate, turn to your neighbors. Turn to your community. Do not do something extreme. Uh, I think it's actually kind of comforting to think about when you – and, and you're going to – you know, people are going to say, what? It's comforting. What do you mean? This thing is terrifying. You said it yourself. This story does kind of lend itself to something that is rather comforting. Eating someone else in a desperate situation, if you're so desperate you're going to eat somebody, uh, that's just terrible, right? But what did these people all forget when they're eating their family? Well, if we look at the case of Swift Runner, his, his son dies. It's him and his, his wife and kids, but he eats his wife. Why not work together? to survive your extremists jump to eating the person you you don't have you're not going to plan it out you're not going to use them as a resource instead of instead of devouring them and using them as a temporary resource acknowledge the value of the people around you as a resource that can make you better that can make you stronger uh they the community is there for you you're there for the community. They will be there for you. So don't turn your back on them. So by not turning your back on the community, by not being greedy, by not stealing from the community, you've assured your position within the community, and you've made sure that when your time comes, when the time comes that you need somebody 
to lean on, you need somebody, they're going to be there for you. And this story of the Wendigo makes us, reminds us that turn to the, turn when you're desperate, you know, don't, don't jump right to the extreme. Don't be afraid to turn back to the community. That's what we're here for. We're here for you to turn back to us. That's what we're here for. We're a family. We're a community. You can rely on us to get you out of this tight spot. We can help you make it. Uh, so the Wendigo uh, itself as a story shows us a few things. Uh, number one, it shows us people that give in to their fear, their anxiety, uh, and they lose control of their reason. They turn their back on reason. They let fear rule them, uh, the fear that they're going to die uh, because they don't have resources and they don't know what they're going to do, so they just jump to the extreme. They kill, they kill their family members. Or they eat them. Uh, they, they resort to this extreme of cannibalism when it perhaps really isn't all that necessary. Uh, so when you think about that, uh, the story of the Wendigo serves many serves to give us many lessons. It's a reminder that our, our community is there, that the community is there to help you. It's there for you. Uh, and as long as you're there for the community, they will be there for you. Um, and I think I think that is one of the major reasons why we want to make sure that we give this uh, story its you want to make sure you're giving this story its due. Uh, this is an incredibly creative story, but it's an incredibly important story for what it does for the people within this community. Uh, and this is, you know, this is what I wanted to really get at with this story is, you know, we, we take a lot of these stories and we're, we're so focused on, oh, my God, can we prove that it's true? Are there really Wendigo? Is that, that's not as important as we think it is. What's more important is why are they telling the story? What can we learn from the story they're telling? And how can we benefit from it? Uh, in the long run. So what is the contribute? What is the, what is the purpose of the story? What is the, so what is the, and what is the overall cultural significance? And then we move to what can we take away from it? The way we need to approach mythology. That's the way we need to approach religion. That is the way we need to approach these stories. The way we approach these stories has been wrong for years. For years, it's been, the way, it's been the wrong way of approaching the story. We've been approaching these mythologies and these religious ideas in the wrong way. We've, we've been so focused on whether or not we can prove it's true that we're not taking away the lessons we can learn from the stories themselves. It's not important if the story is true. It's not even important if I believe in the story, if I believe it's real or not, not relevant. What is important is whether or not we can learn from it. What can we take away from the story? What can we learn? I think today we've learned a great deal about the Wendigo. Yes, it's a terrifying entity that can possess people. And, you know, it's, it's a ghostly predator that can feed on people's flesh. But it's also a stand-in for things like greed uh, and economic and environmental destruction. It's a stand-in for, for, for avarice within the human spirit, the desire to consume until there's nothing left. 
and the lack of consideration for one's community. But it also highlights the fact that we must not be afraid to rely on our community. We can, in the long run, benefit from from being from contributing to our community, and we can benefit from our community itself by contributing to our community, by being connected to our our community. We can benefit from the community. And we can be beneficial to our community as well. What I've got for you guys today, I know the the show is uh, today is, is a little bit shorter um, than normal. I, you know, didn't didn't uh, we didn't have to go all the full full time today, um, but I think we got a lot of mileage out of it. So I want to give you guys uh, plenty of source material. I mentioned some sources throughout uh, the throughout the segment, but I want to go back to some of these sources and give you guys. Uh, some stuff to look at, some 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 things that you guys can uh, benefit from. Uh, so, go ahead and uh, go ahead and get some of these uh, pulled back up, so you guys can. Um, get a little bit out of this. Uh, so one of the books that I would recommend you guys look at is The History of the Ojibwe People uh, by William W. Warren. Uh, so something for you guys to look at, uh, marking you know, some of the cultural beliefs in the Wendigo uh, that are held by people. Uh, you can look at Come back here. Uh, You can look at Robert uh, Ridington's uh, Wetchug and Wendigo, a comparison of cannibal belief among boreal forests, uh, Athapascans, and Elonkians. This is an article uh, you can find on JSTOR. Uh, pretty, Pretty interesting article. Uh, worth your time for sure. If you're gonna if you're gonna look into the Wendigo, I would recommend looking into that. Um, uh, you can also look at uh, James R. Stevens and Thomas Fiddler killing uh, the shaman uh, with the uh, Penumbra Press. Uh, Going Wendigo, The Emergence of the Iconic Monster and Margaret Atwood's Oryx and Crake, and Antonio Bird's Ravenous. It's uh, an article done on that. Uh, you can look at the uh, story uh, Alger- by Algernon Blackwood, The Willows, The Wendigo, and Other Horrors. Uh, short story if you're interested in just listen, you know, reading a, a short story. Uh, I would also recommend uh, looking at Bra- Brady DeSanti's The Cannibal Talking Head, Portrayals of the Wendigo Monster and Popular Culture in the Ojibwe uh, Traditions. Uh, it's with the Journal of Religion and Popular Culture. Uh, it'll pop up on JSTOR for you uh, if you type in there. Uh, you can also look at Joe Lockhart's uh, 
facing the Wendigo, uh, Gerald Weisner and Primo Levi uh, with the University of Nebraska Press. Uh, certainly worth your time. Uh, also take a look at uh, Troy Taylor's The Wendigo, The Northwoods of Minnesota. There are a number of web- uh, websites dedicated specifically to the Wendigo, uh, so it's important to uh, bring those up for you guys uh, so you can go take, take a look for yourself if you're interested. Uh, you can look at uh, an article done on ancient origins, reconstructing the story of humanity's past. Uh, it's at www.ancient-origins.net. Um, and the article's titled Be Wary of the Wendigo. Uh, which is uh, a terrifying beast of Native American legend with an insatiable hunger to devour human or devour mankind. Uh, so that that's a website that can be pretty good when you're looking at mythological things uh, specifically. Uh, you can look at uh, legendsofamerica.com, uh, and specifically you can look at Minnesota Legends, Wendigo, the Flesh Eater of the Forest. Uh, it's an article uh, contributed uh, by Kathy Weiser, um, with with the with their website there, uh, they use a number of sources. They use uh, mostly Wikipedia sources, but they also uh, look at a few uh, sites dedicated to Native American mythology and legends. Um, so feel free uh, to take a look at that and jump down that uh, jump down that rabbit hole. Uh, they also use Ghosts of the Prairie. Uh, there's uh, PrairieGhost.com does has an entire article dedicated uh, to the Wendigo, the Wendigo, the Northwoods of Minnesota. Um, but it's mainly a sort of short story representation of the Wendigo. Uh, you can also look at a few of the links on their website. They'll take you uh, to a number of websites dedicated to the paranormal. Uh, Parasearchers.org is one of them. Now keep in mind, guys, when you go and look at these things, uh, this is not me saying, look at all these sources so that you, you know, it proves that the Wendigo is real. At no point in time, and I want to make this clear, have I now nor am I, will I uh, corroborate that the Wendigo is real. Uh, I would never make a statement that the Wendigo was real. Uh, what I would say is that it's important that we recognize the significance of the story. The story itself uh, lends itself uh, to a lot of interpretations, I think we've went over a number of them, and I think it's important that we just take the story for what it is. It's an entertaining story that teaches us a lesson, community, and generosity. Uh, but that's all I've got for you guys today. Uh, since since nobody's calling in and asking questions, I'm going to leave it there, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in with the Bareback Facts. Catch me next week, of course, Friday, 5 p.m., uh, we're going to be bringing back some new formats. We're going to be bringing back the Mythical Fight Nights, bringing back Historical Coliseum. Very excited about that. For those of you my new uh, radio audience, you guys have not been exposed to these. You're going to be in for a real treat. I'm going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to be pitting two legendary figures against each other in a war for supremacy. Um, yes, uh, it's going to be fun. So the Historical Coliseum this time is going to feature uh, Yu Fei, the famed Chinese general uh, who was said to have never been defeated in battle uh, and never to have lost a battle, uh, the inventor of several styles of martial art and a incredible philosopher of first time. Uh, and he's going to be matched up against the legacy of Miyamoto Musashi, the famous samurai, uh, who is the author of a number of you know a number of books dedicated to literature specifically aimed towards uh, instructing samurai 
and also uh, a guy who is said to have never lost a duel uh, and said to have defeated o- over 100 people in hand-to-hand combat. So very uh, impressive stuff for that. And then, of course, Mythical Fight Night. Uh, I get to do the same thing, but I get to do it with mythical figures like the Wendigo. It's going to be much different, though. I'm tackling two uh, very powerful gods. That's right. We're going to be bringing in the Demon King, Valor, uh, from Celtic mythology. We're going to be talking about his abilities, the stories surrounding him. And we're going to be pitting him against Cernabog, uh, the Slavic Lord of Darkness. That's coming to you guys very soon. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with me. This has been another edition of the Bareback Facts. Hope you and guys guys enjoyed the show. And of course, you guys can catch me live on Sundays every Sunday morning as well, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. for straight football talk. And guys, where you can own, where you can get your football fix, and you don't have to worry about the politics of it. You know, we don't we don't deal with the with the politics, the nonsense. It's strictly non-filtered, non-biased coverage of your favorite NFL teams. Uh, we give you guys updates on trades, rumors, uh, rumor mills, and exclusive interviews with NFL players, NFL free agents, and Hall of Famers that you can't get anywhere else. So do check us out uh, on at Straight Football Talk. You can follow us on Facebook. You can also follow the Bareback Facts on Facebook. Catch any episodes you missed there or on iTunes. Guys, that's all I've got for you today. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I will see you all on Sunday for Straight Football Talk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.